0: Good evening, good to see you tonight, hope that you had a good afternoon, and glad we can be back together to uh, worship this evening. I want to make sure that we uh, take the time and uh, recognize, and and I want to to publicly recognize Jesse and Rachel uh, for all their work they did this uh, last week with uh, Vacation Bible School. It was a great success, as has already been mentioned. We had no less than 120, almost 140 the last night, Uh, fantastic time, Uh, lots of uh, good learning and good outreach was had, and uh, lots of planning of that were because of Jesse and Rachel, so make sure the next time you see them and get a chance to talk to them, you tell them thank you for their hard work. And also, please make sure that you uh, continue to pray for all those contacts that we made. Our hope and our plan is over the next few weeks, we've got uh, all the kids that came had to register, so we've got names and phone numbers and addresses and emails. So we're going to be reaching out to those families over the next few weeks and uh, telling them it was so good to have them and hope that we can have them again. So uh, pray for those contacts that we have. Pray for uh, soft hearts, tender hearts, uh, for God's word to be planted and for God to give the increase uh, for for those people uh, tonight we're going to wrap up our series who is this Lord we love as we said last uh, this morning kind of the last uh, day of it and uh, today we're going to look at the idea that Jesus who is this Lord we love he is a radical person who expects there to be some significant change in our lives if you have your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 9 Mark chapter 9 we're going to look at verses 43 through 49 Mark 9 43 through 49 Again, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the pew Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. That, that passage begins on page 845, uh, Mark chapter 9. You know, some people in our world today, especially people who are really kind of against maybe any religion, but certainly those who uh, are against uh, Christianity, look at Christianity and probably they may look at all religions this way and they consider it to be a crutch. Uh, They say the only reason people believe in Christianity or any other religion perhaps is because they, they need some sort of help. They're not strong enough to make it themselves. And there are some things about Christianity that certainly are encouraging. Some things about Christianity that certainly help us through difficult times, and we appreciate that. But the idea or the picture of Christianity being a crutch or being something that that helps us just because we're not strong enough or it being that we are weak and that's why we believe or we put our hope in God, that is really probably not the picture we see in Scripture. Certainly not in the Old Testament and certainly not in the New Testament. Uh, the idea of persecution, the idea of going through difficulty, the idea specifically of because you are a Christian, you will suffer some things that you would not suffer if you were not a Christian is definitely present within the Bible and the passage we're going to talk about tonight is definitely one of those places where Jesus demands, he commands and he expects there to be a significant commitment to following him. And you're familiar with most of this passage, there's going to be one part of it specifically that we uh, focus on tonight, but let's read it Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 49. Jesus speaking here, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having uh, your two hands to go into hell and into a, the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell, where worm does not die and where fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has become unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Again, this is uh, from, part of it at least, is also a part of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. You recognize and probably remember that, Uh, but this is that it sounds pretty radical. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. If your hand, cut it off and throw it from you. If your foot, cut it off and throw it from you. And that sounds really radical, and it is pretty radical. Does Jesus mean this literally, or does Jesus mean it figuratively? Yes, he does. I think he does mean it literally, and I think he does mean it figuratively. If, if there was something that your eyes caused you to stumble, your eyes regularly, consistently cause you to sin, what Jesus said is true. It would be better to live this life blind than to go to hell, wouldn't it? You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? As radical as that statement is, you'd agree with that. If your foot, for whatever reason in whatever way, caused you to stumble, it'd be better to live this life lame, having a difficult time walking, than to go to hell. You agree with that? Same with your hand. You wouldn't want to do it. It's not something that you would look forward to. It's not something that you would, uh, you know, sign. Be the first to sign up for. Uh, but if if you realize, and, and and more than likely, the reality is, it's not going to be your hand. It's not going to be your foot. It may not be your eyes. But there are other things in your life that it probably is. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's time you spend on this or time you spend on that. And Jesus is making the point, whatever it is that's keeping you, keeping uh, something in between us, remove that because it would be better to live this entire life without whatever it is than for you to have that your entire life and spend eternity in hell. And again, I think that you would agree with that that whatever it is, it would be better to, to suffer its loss and to be committed to God in such a way that you are willing to not have that in this life so that you can be with God eternally. And, I, and again, I, those are passages that, that hopefully you're familiar with, that hopefully you, you recognize. I don't want to spend a, a ton of time on that, but I do want you to get it. I do want you to, uh, to, to wrap your mind around that. I, w- I want you to understand that and then to apply it in your life. What is it that regularly gets in the way of your relationship with God? We talked about our, in our Bible classes this morning, uh, for the adult Bible classes, our word was repent or repentance, right? And we talked about, uh, at least in our class and probably in your class too, that repentance is, it begins with a recognition of failure, a recognition and an ownership of I've done something I ought not to have done. I've got to, you know, it's, it's hard in the world today even to get people to that point sometimes, to admit that they've done something wrong and then to own up to it, meaning bear the consequences of it. But it starts there, but it doesn't end there, right? Repentance doesn't, doesn't just end with a mental recognition of, yeah, I messed up. That wasn't good. Uh, repentance is trying to fix whatever you messed up, and then it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life so that you try not to do that again. And probably part of the things that would help us in repentance practically would be what Jesus is talking about here. What is it? What opportunities, what desires do we need to change or limit in our lives that would help us to avoid temptation which leads to sin and ultimately death. James chapter 1 t- tells us that. So we think about this idea of, uh, in your life, and, and certainly one lesson that you can take from tonight's lesson, in your life, what is something that gets in your way of your relationship with God? And how can you change that? How can you limit that? How can you cut it off and cast it away? And are you committed enough to God to do that? But then it also in verse, um, verse 49, there's an interesting phrase here. That I have probably read at some point before, but it's probably one of those verses that right after Jesus talked about lopping off hands and feet, I probably didn't pay much attention to it uh, because it's not quite as extreme. Uh, but it's something I want us to think about. What does it mean in verse 49 where it says, for everyone will be salted with fire? Well, that doesn't sound great either, does it? You know, losing a hand, losing an eye, losing a foot, that doesn't sound good. And, and being salted with fire doesn't sound like a good thing. But, and, and Jesus says, everyone will. We'll be salted with fire. So I want us to take a few moments tonight and think about what does it mean? If we think about who is this Lord we love, well, he's a radical Lord. He's a radical leader. He wants us to be willing. He has an expectation that if we're going to pick up our cross daily and follow him, that that means we're going to have to leave some things behind. Because you know, when you say yes to something, that means you say no to other things, right? You're aware of that. When you say yes to anything, you're saying no to other things. And we as Christians, we've said yes to Jesus, which means we've said no to other things. And we know that mentally. We've got that in our headspace. But what does that look like practically? And really, you've got to figure that out in your own life. What are those ungodly desires that you have that you need to change? What are those opportunities that could lead to temptation that you need to limit? What are the things in your life that are not like Jesus that you need to go about changing? But what does it mean to be salted with fire? Everyone, Jesus says, everyone will be salted with fire. That means you. You're going to be salted with fire. And you probably need to know what that means. We need to understand that. I don't know of any other place in the New Testament, any other place where Jesus is speaking, where it talks about the idea of being salted with fire. There are a few other uh, ideas about fire that are kind of strange, and we don't know exactly what they are. You think about the tongues of fire uh, when the, the ability to speak in miraculous tongues comes upon the apostles and, and the Gentiles later on. You think about the baptism of fire, but I don't think it's related to any of those things. What does it mean to be salted with fire? Well, one way that I think, that one thing that helps us to understand it, I think, is uh, an idea that we actually find in the Old Testament. In the book of uh, Leviticus, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Leviticus, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I'll I'll tell you what it's talking about there. He's talking about, in Leviticus, of course, uh, different things about different kind of offerings and sacrifices that they were to make. And specifically there, he's talking about a grain offering, I believe. And he talks about the grain offering initially, but then he expands it and he says this, Every offering that you make must be offered with salt every sacrifice that you give must be given with salt and he talks about even the salt of the covenant and there's again some things that we'd have to do an even deeper dive to understand exactly what's the salt of the covenant and those types of things but let's just settle in and focus on the idea of being salted with fire and every sacrifice being offered with salt well what does that mean what does that mean for you everyone's going to be salted I would say that probably relates to not only Christians, but non-Christians as well. What does this idea mean here? And and when I think about the idea of being salted with fire and every sacrifice has to be salted, well, again, my mind goes to Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, where it talks about our bodies are a living and holy sacrifice. Everyone's gonna be salted with fire. Later on in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, it tells us that we need to uh, persevere through um, tribulation. So it's talking about difficulty there. So if, if we're just putting all of this kind of together and thinking about it and Jesus is commanding and and demanding and he's a Lord who expects extreme following. He expects you to to give up whatever it is to follow him. What does it mean to be salted with fire? What does it mean that everyone will be salted with fire? I would think, first of all, initially, even for non-Christians, it's similar to the idea where Jesus says the rain Falls on the unrighteous and the righteous and the sun shines on the good and the evil, that, that kind of idea that, and I, I take that to mean good things and bad things happen to everyone. Whether you consider harsh sunshine good or rain bad or whatever it is, life happens to everyone. And if you're a Christian, good things happen to you. Some good things happen to you simply because you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, bad things happen to you. Some bad things happen to you specifically because you're a Christian. But people who are not Christians, good things happen to them. God is the giver of every perfect gift, right? But also bad things happen. Life simply happens to us. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Again, if you're using your pew Bible, that's on page 953. 1 Corinthians 3. 10 through 15 the idea of being salted with fire the idea of our lives being a holy sacrifice and all sacrifices are all offered with some sort of salt i think there's a connection there uh, with what jesus is talking about here and then we have another passage that i've read before i've heard it before and it's another passage that to be honest with you it's not super straightforward it's a little odd it's not the easiest one in all the Bible to really understand what is Jesus talking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's read verses 10 through 15. Paul says, talking about himself, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Okay, so what, what book are we in? We're in 1 Corinthians we were there this morning. We talked about the fact that the Corinthians are having some problems. They're having some divisions based on Paul and Apollos and Peter. Well, Paul here is saying, listen, I, I was the first person who was there, and I laid a master foundation. And now somebody else is building on it. And he's not upset about it. Apollos is there now, and he appreciates the work that he's doing. He says, I laid this foundation, and somebody else is building on it. But let's, let's go on and see what else he says. Verse number 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will be rewarded. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Again, maybe you read that and you know exactly what Paul's talking about. When I read that, I don't know exactly what Paul is talking about. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. I don't know exactly what Paul is talking about. But let me try to explain what I believe he's talking about. Certainly in reference and connection with what we're talking about. This idea of being salted with fire. Uh, Again, Paul is... He's laid the foundation of Jesus... Jesus Christ is, is death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel. That's what the church is built upon, right? Jesus says uh, to Peter that uh, based on this this fact, this rock-solid fact, that I'm the, the, the son of God, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's the foundation of the church, was in the first century, is today, and will always be. Jesus' deity uh, is, is the foundation, and certainly his sacrifice goes along with that. Uh, but now Apollos in Corinth is building upon it. And what is he building? He's not building a literal building, right? And when we think about this idea of it being tested, he talks about all these different kinds of, of um, materials that may be used. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work, it says in verse 12, 13, will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Well, what? how is the church built? What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. We talked about that this morning. But the church is also described as the building of God. That you are a part of the temple of God. And as a a brick is laid with Jesus as the cornerstone, we are being built up together in the church. So when when he's talking about someone building upon the foundation of Christ, what's he talking about? He's talking about people. Right? He's talking about Apollos is continuing to spread the gospel. And the church in Corinth is growing. We could say the same thing here. That For 150 years, people in Cookville have been hearing about the gospel. And people have been becoming Christians. And we're hoping that more and more and more people will become Christians. And we're building upon the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're building upon it. But one day, one day, the quality of the workmanship of the Jefferson Avenue congregation will be tested. Maybe many days, but certainly one day in the end, the quality... Of the workmanship will be tested. And notice what it says about the, the results there. Uh, verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains. He will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up. He will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet as through the fire. What does this mean? Again that's not the easiest most straightforward passage. For us to understand. But if we're talking about people. And that has to be what we're talking about. Because that's how we build the church. It's not bricks and mortar. It's people and souls. That's how we build the church. Well, the the quality, whether it's gold or silver, hay or wood, that's going to be the quality of our faith, the quality of your faith, the quality of my faith. Individually, our faith is going to be tested. And it's going to be tested with fire. It's going to be tested with difficulty. We're all going to be salted with fire. We're all going to have difficulty in our lives. We're all going to have, listen, we're all going to have the opportunity to turn away from God. And I don't know that, I I would not say, I would not say this. I would not say that God is the one who is tempting you. We know that. God doesn't tempt anyone, James chapter 1. I'm not even going to say that God is testing your faith. I'm just going to say that life happens and all of our faith will be tested. You're going to go through tough times. I'm going to go through tough times. And in those moments, are we going to remain with God? Are we going to go away with God? And it says that uh, each man's work will be burnt up. Well, that means that maybe the the people that that you bring to Christ, that's your work. That's your fruit, you might say. It is your fruit Uh, that you bring them to Christ. Well, do you just leave them after they're baptized? Or do you continue to mentor them and disciple them and help them to grow stronger in their own faith? You can still be saved. That's what it says in verse 15. If you bring... You know, five people to Christ throughout your life, and all of them end up falling away. You can still be saved. That's what it says in verse 15. But, don't you want all of them to be saved? If you bring your child to Christ, you want them to remain faithful, don't you? If you bring a coworker to Christ, you want them to remain faithful, don't you? If you bring a stranger on the street to Christ, you want them to remain faithful, don't you? Well, all of us, even the people you bring to Christ, their faith will be tested. And they need us, not just you. They need all of us. We all need to be together, to build one another up, to spur one another on, and to be there for each other. So when we think about this idea of, of who is Jesus? Who is this Lord we love? He's a Lord who expects for us to be committed to him, to be faithful to him, even in the difficult times, even if it costs us a lot. You know, I don't, I don't know... Uh, that we could really understand what the full cost would be of losing a hand if you haven't done so. Because we just take it for granted, don't you? When you want to reach and grab something, what do you do? You reach and grab something. If your feet are working and you don't have any difficulty walking, you don't really, probably we don't really appreciate the ability to walk. Because when we want to walk, we just get up and do it. The ability to see. Uh, now, some of us, like myself, we wear contacts or glasses, so maybe we can appreciate that one a little bit more. If I took out my contacts right now, you would all be beautiful blurs. Uh, but but I, I can't see. I can appreciate that one a little bit more, maybe. But this, this sacrifice of what's it really cost us to be followers of Jesus, one of the things that it costs is when we go through the fire, when we go through difficulty, when we're salted with fire, as everyone will be, will we remain faithful? And when you think about your fruit, when you think about what you're building, you know, it's what I just said a few minutes ago, if if you bring five people to Christ in your lifetime, how many people have you brought to Christ in your lifetime? I heard a stat once. It's an old stat now, uh, and I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I'll give you the general gist of it. It says most members of the church or most Christians, you know, they they sing fifty thousand songs in their lifetime. They hear. 10,000 sermons. They participate in 25,000 public prayers, but they convert zero sinners. Is that you? How many people have you tried to bring to Christ? All of us can do more. All of us need to do more. All of us should want to do more. Uh, But if you're thinking about it right now, how many people have you invested into the point where where maybe, and they they had a choice, so if they said no after you invested in them, you still did your job, That's great. Uh, but how many people have you even taken the time to invest in them so much to really urge them to be saved from their sins and to come to Jesus? Uh, but, but our, our fruit, our, our building, that we're building upon the, the rock-solid foundation of Christ is the people that we bring to Christ, that we show who Christ is. And, and I want to again encourage us when we think about this idea of being salted with fire. Your children are going to be salted with fire. I've got an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old. They don't know what life's like yet, right? I, I'm... Some of you say, Andy, you don't know what life's like yet. I get it. I understand. Uh, but I want my kids to have a faith at some point in their life that when bad things happen, they have a strong enough faith to maintain it. Not that they don't struggle. I, I, I don't have a problem with people who struggle as Christians because people who struggle as Christians are still trying as Christians. I don't have a problem with that idea of struggling. If I have to struggle all the way up the mountain to get into heaven, happy to do so. Uh, but I want, I want us as, a, as individuals, as families, uh, as a community, as a congregation, uh, to develop within people, to invest in people enough to share the gospel with them, and then to just not leave them once they become Christians. But to continue to develop them, be there for them, help them. Because like as Jesus said, whatever it means, if it means exactly what I'm talking about tonight, or whatever it means, the idea of being salted with fire, I don't think there's any, I, any doubt about the, the fact that it means there's, that all of us are going to go through some sort of difficulty. And when we go through whatever that difficulty is, and it's probably different for all of us, we need to have a support system, a family of God that's going to be there for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Uh, Lord, there, there are some passages and some phrases that uh, aren't as easy to understand as others. Uh, Lord, if there's someone here tonight who, who has a better understanding of, of this than, than what I've presented tonight, I certainly pray that they will uh, come to me and help me to understand it better, and we'll be able to share that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Lord, but we know, not only from Scripture, but from experience, uh, that good things and bad things happen to everybody who lives. And Lord, we pray that as your followers, we'll be willing to commit our lives in such a way to you that we're willing to give up some things that we know that we're going to have to give up some things and that we'll do that. Uh, Lord, that that will take uh, practice and patience and endurance and that we'll receive the support that we need from one another. Lord, as we build upon individually and as a congregation the, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus, we pray that you will help us to help people develop in, into disciples, people who follow your son Jesus, and that we are right there beside them helping them and as we struggle up, Uh, throughout this life, God. Lord, tonight, if there are those who are struggling, help them to know that we are too and that we want to be here for them. Uh, Lord, if there are those tonight who are being salted by fire or going through difficulty in whatever form or fashion, I pray that they'll know that we're here for them and that you're here for them. Uh, Lord, tonight, if there are people who are strong and going through uh, just a great time in their life, Lord, I pray that they will praise your name for the good things that you've given to them, God. No matter what our circumstances or situation tonight, Lord, I pray that we'll look to you for strength, for guidance, for knowledge, for peace, for love, for mercy, and for grace. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray that you'll help us to be like him. When we're not, and when we fail, help us to stand up and try again, and thank you for the hope that we have of Jesus, through Jesus, for eternal life. We pray these things in his name, amen. Again, tonight, if you're going through a tough time, we wanna be here for you. Uh, if you're going through a great time, praise God, uh, and I hope that you do, praise God. And if you have anything that you need to let us know about or if there's any way that we can help you tonight, uh, we're going to stand and sing a song here in just a second. If you want to come forward and let us know about those needs, uh, we will be happy to talk to you about it. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, that's all right. Uh, Let us know afterwards. Uh, Talk to me afterwards. Uh, Talk to another brother or sister in Christ. Let's be here for one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's challenge with one another. Let's rejoice with one another. If there's anything that you need tonight, please come forward as we stand and sing.